Thanks for joining us on episode five of the Beer City Hopcast. I'm your host, Taylor Darling, with my new co-host, John Vanderplug. Hi, I'm John. Uh, today we have guests Justin Dealman and Brian Pastimus. Posthumous, but close. Posthumous. <laughs> I was working on that so I, I, hard. I practiced so hard before we began. Not that hard. Um, so, uh, Brian is the managing partner of West Michigan Hop Yards, and Justin Dealman is the owner-operator of Pure Mitten Hops. And, uh, obviously, we're going to be talking about hop stuff today. So, thanks for joining us, guys. Yeah, yeah thanks for having us. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, yeah, hops, it's like huge and it's a huge part of beer and it's like a big thing um <laughs> uh it, it is a big thing um it it's i mean it's been gaining traction in michigan for i don't know what would you say since 2007 2008 yeah. but it had a relatively slow start for the first four or five years and then it really started gaining traction around 2011 2012 we we started in toward the end of 2012 and yeah, it's been interesting. You guys started in what, two, thir- 13, 14? We were uh, spring of 14. Yeah. So so the craft beer boom was huge for, for this, obviously. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, what, what were you guys, what were you guys doing before the craft beer boom? <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> um, <laughs> I have a degree in economics from Grand Valley, which I uh, never used. Um, and then I was a... Uh, <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> I was a professional painter for... Uh, over a decade, um, like through college and after, and then uh, kind of got back into sciences at Grand Valley. Started doing a lot of uh, sustainable farming stuff, and then um, my parents retired and said, "Let's start a farm." And I was on board, so here we are. <laughs> wow, cool, Brian. Uh, so I I grew up in agriculture. My degree is actually in agricultural business management. And so I grew up on a cash crop farm, corn, wheat, soybeans, mm-hmm. and sheep, and pigs. Uh, and then, I, so I got my degree in ag business management and then ended up going into politics. <laughs> so <laughs> I, uh, I started doing political consulting. I had, my, I had a political consulting firm on my own, still do it. Uh, and, and then politics and agriculture have both always been a passion of mine. And then one, I, I think I was doing taxes in 2012, and I'm like, man, this is a... I'm gonna have to write a hefty check to the government. Let's throw away all our money. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so I, uh, I emailed my two best friends and said, "Hey, we have to figure out something to do. This is getting ridiculous. Let's all meet, come up with a couple ideas, and and figure out which one we're gonna do." And so, so we met one of my partners, uh, and I, so one of my partners had the idea of hops. My other partner and I laughed at him. And we threw down a couple other ideas, chose one of the other ideas, and then we quickly, quickly realized that uh, there, there was no validity to it. It wasn't going to work at all. And so we started looking into hops a little bit more and was like, hey, there, there might be something here. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's how I got into hops. What, what were the other ideas? Uh, real estate investment in uh, Palm Beach County, Florida was one of them because at the time uh, it was still one of the, it, I, I think it was still the most depressed county in the country yeah. from, the, from the Great Recession, uh, which was surprising to me. Uh, but then we realized, you know, all right, so you buy a place 
1,800 miles away, how, what are you going to do with it? You know, how are you going to fix it up when you don't have full-time jobs? You know, well, like in that. comparison to hops, that sounds depressing. So. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, so we we realized once we came up with that, that that's not going to work. So started looking into hops and what it would take to do it, and uh, it made sense. So here we are. So where are you guys, where do you uh, have your farms? So we're, we're in Coopersville, um, just about a mile off the highway. So mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> me and my family, my parents, and uh, my brother-in-law, Jay, that works on the farm, we all live in GR and mm-hmm. just drive to Coopersville every day. So Right on. They have one of the most beautiful farms I've ever seen for hops. It's very nice. I'm a big fan. I'm a little jealous. We try and keep it pretty tidy. So yeah, Mary, well, Mary keeps. Our <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we have we have three locations all in north northern Kent County. Uh, one is technically Greenville, one's technically Belding, and one's technically Rockford, uh, but they're all within like five minutes of each other. So so are you the owner of these actual <laughs> properties or? Mm-hmm. Oh, you are okay. Well, so we we own. I get. Let me rephrase that. No, we we own two of the properties. The other property is owned by somebody else, and we manage and we manage and grow the hops. On okay, that gotcha. One. So, uh, both of you pretty much do the same thing, right? Where um, you're essentially like cultivating these hops and then distributing them, like processing processing them, distributing them, um, kind of thing. Is is that correct to say? Yeah, uh, Justin, you're not uh, processing yet, right? No. So at our farm, we we um, grow and then uh, pick, dry, and bale, and then we send out for the processing to uh, be made into pellets. Okay. And then and then we distribute ourselves. Yeah. So uh, is there like a certain umbrella that these are uh, distributed under, like uh, a certain company name, or I guess I mean, is there, is there some sort of brokerage that you guys deal with, or we don't? No, not anymore. So we. Um, just completely independent. Yeah, yeah. So, um, starting this year, we've been selling completely independently. So, and I think you've always been doing that, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I so when we, when we started, we uh, uh, decided that you know, for if we wanted to make something work in agriculture, we wanted to do everything one hundred percent vertically integrated, and so that's what we did. We made the decision early, and it's uh, added a lot of work, but you know, that happens. You guys both both Michigan natives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Grand so, Rapids. when you say completely vertically vertically integrated, are you talking about like taking it all the way through? Are you processing yourself then? Yeah, so. yeah. So the the entire supply chain of okay. it. So once so when, once every, every hop that we have, we we put in the ground, we harvest, we we process, we package, we market, um, and we like we like doing it that way. Okay. You know, I I know a little bit about. The uh, the hop cultivation process, but I guess for those out there who um, who who don't know as much, I mean, what what is what's the start to finish for a hop's life? <laughs> I'll let you take this one. Uh, so the hops are, you know, it's a perennial, right? So you you plant once, and you're not. It's not like you're replanting every year, right? So. Um, well, as long as you keep them healthy. <laughs> right. uh, so, uh, hops start coming up um, early spring. They're, they're, I mean, they're really one of the first plants to start pushing up onto the ground. Um, from that point, you know, that's probably, I mean, depends on the year, but that's mid to late March. Um, 
And uh, from there, you're, you're maintaining your rows. Um, but then really it starts to heat up around um, <clears throat> end, of, end of April. Um, we burn the plants down to take them back down to the ground. And then uh, from there, you're stringing and training. And are, you, are you actually burning them? Some uh, people do. Yeah, some people. We have experimented with that. We've done um, flame burning. Uh, we've done mechanical cutbacks. What are you <coughs> doing done, now? Uh, this past year we did chemical. What would you use if you don't aim, mind using? Aim. aim, yeah. Did you like it? Uh, yes, for certain varieties. Our, um, our Mackinac and our copper are not... They don't respond well to it. Just so. doesn't like they don't. They, they aren't negatively impacted. Like they don't die off like they should, well, or they, they don't come back like they should. They don't come back like they should. Okay. Um, they come back, but it's it's a wider crown, and they're pushing <clears throat> a lot of bull shoots, mm-hmm. um, which are shoots that you don't want. Um, yeah. They're not the strong, healthy shoots that produce hops. So, mm. um, we had a bit of challenge with that this year because we we did it this year, and then kind of was like you know. We gotta stop putting that on. So yeah, did you not like uh, mechanically pruning? Pruning? Uh, I I got mixed feelings about it. I think it's spread. If you have any sort of viroid in your mm-hmm. field, it's gonna spread it down that row. Yeah. So it's um, you know, there's advantages, but there's big disadvantages. So right. So right. You guys doing chemical, right? Uh the the last the last three years ago we tried tried like physically burning it with a flame, but we didn't realize that you needed a lot of flame. Yeah, so like, we did that too. A lot. And we we added up the, the propane costs. From We had it all hooked up on our tractor, mm-hmm. propane tanks all lined up in the bucket, and we had it, you know, just going Go down the road, burning all the plants, and it worked well, but when you added up the propane costs, it was oh, like, holy yeah. cow. I, I think it's the best way to do it. It's just not very cost effective. Yeah. It, it's mm-hmm. tough. Uh, but yeah, we've used chemical chemical burn knobs, and I think we used AIM and just don't see the results that we want to see. Like this year, we we had a decent amount of bull shoots get trained, Yeah, and they're already getting yellow. <laughs> What's yeah. the point of actually burning these off? So so you, we both said the term bull shoots. Mm-hmm. So, so there, there's two parts of it. Number one is so you can better time your training date and better time, which then allows you to better time your harvest date. What does the training date mean? Uh, that's what, so, uh, hop, so hops physically have to be manually wrapped around the string. So if you drive by a hop yard and you see all those thousands of strings with the plants climbing up it, <laughs> Every single one of those were hand wrapped. They don't do it naturally. I didn't know that. To, so an, they, to an extent, they they do it. They'll start to do it naturally, but more often than not, it's the ones you don't want on there. Right? <laughs> okay. So yeah, I always thought it was like you know I had a vegetable garden. Green beans grow right up. No, I mean you you have to make sure you're getting the huh. right. So know. that's why the month of May for hop farmers is intense. Yeah. Awful is another word. <laughs> uh, I I mean, it's just a lot of work. So yeah, so it, so you you burn them, you burn the burn the plants down, or cut them back, so you can specifically time the training date a little bit better because you can stagger, you know, which varieties you're you're cutting back or burning back, uh, and then you figure between three and four weeks they'll be ready to train, 
and then from there it's easier to manage. So what happens if you don't burn them? Uh, we'll find out on a couple of our varieties this year. <laughs> Do they just, uh, is it a fear of it just taking over the, the whole trellis or? Um, somewhat of that, but I mean more I think it's just getting a bunch of bull shoots and stuff going up that, um, you know, bull shoots come up and they're real like vigorous right in the spring. But when you say bull shoot, is that like the primary shoot? It's so it's a shoot coming out of the crown, you know. Picture, I mean, I mean, it's no different than like a hosta, or you know, it's just a, a big crown, right? And it's mm-hmm. sending up shoots. <clears throat> and the bull shoots are, are big, thick, they're real purpley, normal, mm-hmm. and um, you know, they're they're hollow. They, they'll wrap, they'll grow really vigorously, but a lot of times they'll break in the wind because um, they're just, they're hollow. They're not strong and they don't produce. And, and once they are grown, grown fully up, they don't, they don't have the, they can't transplant the ener- enough energy to produce the type of, the, the type of hops that you want. Right. Mm-hmm. And so they, hollow. yeah, they end up going bad and just producing low, low quality hops. And so, mm-hmm. uh, so the other part of why you burn back is because that first initial flush of growth that you get uh, ha- is where the majority of the bull shoots are. Hmm. And so, so there's two reasons why you burn it back. One is so you, for the timing aspect of it, and the other is to get rid of a lot of the bull shoots. So are you actually like burning back different varieties or different like areas of your, of your farm so that those all come up at the same time so it's easier to harvest or something? Or? I, we stagger them, yeah. Because so we we have thirty three acres of hops, which, uh, with the amount of, of harvesting capacity that that we have, we have to be very specific about when we take the hops. And so certain varieties of hops, like so Centennial, we will we'll, we'll trim them back a little bit earlier. Uh, Chinook will wait a little bit longer, and then some of the others will just do them all right in the middle. Is that also because of like how long it takes for them to mature, or? Are those windows static among varieties, or do they each kind of operate in a different way? Each variety is tip has a typically a different harvest time mm-hmm. and a different centennial is always day. really early. Yeah, centennial is kind of it goes gangbusters, right? It's a pretty like uh, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. It it's a it's a weird centennial is a finicky. It's got a, it's got its issues in Michigan yeah. for sure. If you have the if you have the right soil, like if you have blow sand type soil, you will do very 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 well mm-hmm. with Centennial. But if you have any variation other than that, it you you're not going to get the results that you need to get in order to make it profitable. I, I might bring it up again later, but I we me and my best friend tried growing our own hops once, mm-hmm. and uh, he lives out out in like Cedar Rock area. Nice. And uh, he has this huge area, like it was, it was at his dad's house, and so he has, he has this huge area, you know, where he, all, uh, his regular garden, and uh, his dad helped him put up some trellises, and we had, like, I think, four or five hop varieties, and the centennial was insane. It just it took over everything. It grew up. It was the first to grow up to the very top, and it started uh, uh, mm-hmm. uh, spanning mm-hmm. the, the entire tops of the trellises, um, and yeah, it just it went completely gangbusters. Nice. Yeah, it's an early variety, so it it gets going before the other ones do, so it will just keep taking off, you know. So we got hung up on the uh, the, bur- <laughs> the burning part. <laughs> that might happen again. <laughs> um, so okay, so what happens after the burning? 
Uh, so then you're, um, I mean, I mean, we're usually about ready to start stringing after burn down. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, then you're stringing. Um, so each. You guys understand what he means by that? Yeah. So, so the hop grows up on core, which is like twine. Mm-hmm. Um, each plant has two um, strings. So it grows on a trellis system. So the hop grows up by the summer solstice or around. It's about 18 feet tall. So um, all right. <laughs> basically we're putting up all the strings that the hops are going to grow on. So um, we, we run, the way we run our field is uh, we've got um, about a thousand plants per acre. Um, and we've got 11 and a half acres, so we've got 23,000 about strings to put up every spring. So those all go up by hand. Those all go up by hand. <laughs> wow. um, so I mean, you think I mean, we're 11 and a half? He's he's running 33. So I mean, the amount of strings that go up is it's ridiculous. Yeah. So, so basically, you first... guys are almost single-handedly supporting the yarn industry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> it, it, it's funny that you say this, and it, maybe I shouldn't say this on, on on a podcast, but I actually did. So we we import our uh, our, our core from Sri Lanka. Oh. And so I was trying to figure out, all right, what is the cost of living in Sri, Sri, Sri Lanka and the amount of core? Because I, I, did you get you guys got your core with us this year? Right? Yeah, yeah. So the amount of core that we bought from Sri Lanka it was a lot. It, it was an, it was enough to to uh, to support the uh, a the me, median salary for for like fifteen or twenty families. Oh my god! Wow. In Sri Lanka, you know that sounds like the most un-American thing I've ever heard. Right? I'm gonna have to ask you to leave. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, Come on, buy American. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we looked into it. We we'd both be out of business. Uh, yeah. There's a few other options, but we haven't had good results yeah. with them. So, um, yeah. Uh, but, so like with so uh, my partner Jason and I, uh, we, uh, we we tie relatively fast. So we don't have we don't have the patience necessary to let other people tie. <laughs> so so yeah, the, no, the, the, the two of us tied sixty six thousand uh, a total of sixty six thousand strings. So we each tied wow. thirty three thousand strings this year. Yeah. It rips up your hands pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Do you wear gloves, by the way? No, I, I tried the first couple of years. I I I found one glove that was working all right, but this in, year was in my the fault. end. I I can't even do like the rain. You know. Oh yeah. Like my, you know, we always got like like rain ponchos and oh, stuff because yeah, you know because the string you soak all the string before you like soaked while you're doing it <clears throat> yeah so oh, yeah. so all the string soaks at least 12 hours before we put it up is that so you can like it's easier them out easier to tie it's oh, basically okay. like twine it's made out of coconut sure. husk so okay. um it's pretty rough if it's dry well mm-hmm. when it's wet it's a lot easier to work with so gotcha and um, it's more pliable and it doesn't stick to the other strings right. oh okay so they apart more easily i found a pair of gloves that's the only pair i will ever wear while tying this yeah. year was the first year i did it because usually my hands are just oh just gone <laughs> by the end it's bad yeah so uh you tie up the strings the hops start growing up the strings once you yeah. wrap them around. Then, then you train once, them. once you train them so like the 
like the month of May is so rough because like the first half of May is pretty much stringing, mm -hmm. and then the second half of May is training. So we start training middle of May, and we try to, we want to have everything done by you know beginning of June. So you don't have any centennial, do you? No. Yeah. So so we start training. Gosh, I, I think I, I think we uh, we typically start training May eighth. Really? Oh wow. May 9th. Uh, <coughs> and then we'll we will finish training June twenty I think this year we finished June twenty fifth. Uh, and I think last year was June twenty fourth. So we and we it's very it's very variety specific mm -hmm. for us. So you're just kind of monitoring each individual variety and kind of figuring out how to plan your schedules around them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so oh, sorry. <laughs> at, at what point, I mean, so I, I said at that point you're just waiting for them to flower and, and do their thing, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. So like right now, you know, from, you know, mid-June until, you know, mid-August, because we don't have Centennial, um, it's pretty relaxed for the most part. I mean, you're 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 fertilizing, you're um, keeping everything clean, scouting for diseases and pests, and then doing whatever sprays you need to do. Um, but right now is kind of the relaxed part of the summer, and then once harvest hits, then it's. Oh yeah. Then it's, it's and, and we we I'm I'm you're probably pretty close to this, but we typically stick to a seven to ten day spray schedule all throughout the all throughout the summer. So every week to ten days, something whether it's fertilizer or whether it's something to control downy mildew or powdery mildew, mm -hmm. uh, we're in the field spraying. Um, so and that it's typically right now with them all full full height we probably takes us about 15 hours of uh, to to spray the the whole thing so it's cultivation uh it's a daily job depends on how much dirt you have yeah <laughs> sure uh yeah yeah spraying for us is um we're on an eight-day schedule right now so yeah um and we you know we got a smaller field and a big tank so I can, so I can spray I can spray a whole field and my whole acreage in like three and a half four hours yeah so and that's usually at night so you know we go I'll go out there at like nine o'clock and spray till like one in the morning and Whoa. come home hmm. so you, is that a 400 gallon tank we got 300 gallons oh nice okay and I'm typically about 100 gallons per acre yeah so. Why do you do it at night? Uh, for um, uh, one, for like, uh, if it's sunny, you know, you get too much evaporation. Sure. Um, if it's windy, you get too much drift. Mm -hmm. So usually nights are calmer. Mm -hmm. um, all your all your <coughs> bugs, like your honeybees and all that stuff, are not out flying sure. around. Um, all the beneficial bugs. Yeah, yeah. All, yeah, all the pollinators yeah. and yeah. all that good stuff. So they're they're not in the field, um, and most often than not, the, the wind has died down, so you're not getting drift on other people's stuff. Gotcha. And, and so, <laughs> some products are specifically 
engineered to be better, be have yeah. more efficacy at night. Yeah. Okay. Uh, outside of just the natural yeah. reasons that he just said. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you're spraying during the day with the sunlight out and stuff, you're going to get evaporation, but you're also that plant. Most of the stomata on the leaves are closed, you know, because mm-hmm. it's too hot out. They're mm-hmm. trying to conserve. So the they're they're right? they're opened up at night, right? right? Okay. So you get more efficiency, um, less evaporation, mm-hmm. less harm on bugs, you know. Gotcha. So. And there's also so if uh, if it's really sunny out and, and warm out, depending on what you are, depending on what you're putting on the plants, it will uh, it'll burn the leaves yeah. a little bit. Oh, okay. I don't know if that'd be considered phytotoxic, hmm. but something like that. I'm not. I'm not a science geek. <laughs> are you guys watering them at all, too, or are you just letting? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Hops take a lot of water, so that's that's one reason why the Michigan, especially, but the Midwest in general is is well suited for growing hops, is because we have a lot of water mm-hmm. and the hops need a lot of water. In terms so. of our latitude, we're. Um, pretty similar to, uh, to to where a lot of the hops are grown in the Europe. The Pacific Northwest and and, your, and, yeah. and yeah, 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 that as well. region. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're looking at what is it, like 45 to 42? 42 to 45, yeah, latitude. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and what what most people don't realize is that at around the turn of the century, Michigan was, was if not the number one producer of hops in the United States. It, it was pretty close. It was it was up there. Uh, that didn't last very long. Why is we that? A lot of, was it blight? Or? Uh, it was a mixture of blight and prohibition. Yeah. Oh, the, so. It, yeah. So, so what had happened was uh, uh, powdery mildew and blight, and uh, like the, the issues that we still see today, but we have the technology and the science to, to, mm-hmm. to fight. At that time, it, it came in, wiped out their yards for three, four, five years. And they had nothing that they could do about it. And then immediately after that, prohibition came in. And so everybody moved out to out to the west where prohibition wasn't as strongly regulated and sure. they could grow hops and, and sell them to, to producers. The same sort of thing happened in New York, is that right? Or Yeah, yeah. yeah. New thing. York was another big area. Yep. I yeah. mean really the Midwest in mm-hmm. general was you know, the start of it. And sure. Yeah, the I mean the, a lot of the northern states in the United States yeah. um, grew a lot of hops from, from what I understand. Mm-hmm. I know there are a lot of German families who moved to the UP um, and uh, northern Michigan uh, grew a lot of hops up there. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, Wab actually, uh, uh, for those listening, uh, Wab is, is one of the brewers who used to work at uh, the Mint. He does sales for us now. And uh, his property up in the UP. I did know this. And he found... Elo Yeah, yep, Elo Hop Farms. And he found uh, this random... Naturally growing hop, ditch witch, ditch witch, exactly. <laughs> Somewhere in his property, and uh, he's been uh, he took the rhizomes and planted them, and uh, he's been growing it now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, he uh, started doing some research, and apparently, yeah, there was a ton of German families up in the UP who yeah. uh, who brought hops over. You can definitely find. Um, we had a couple of different plants on our farm growing for a few years. Um, but it was a friend of a friend that just found it growing in, you know, they like wet areas, so like along in the woods, like along streams and creeks and, mm-hmm. and down in the ditch, like wild pound it. And, you know, a lot of times it's a it's an old variety from way back when, you know, but, um, yeah, 
Do you, John? Do you remember one? what? Uh, he said it was a sister of of some strain. I can't recall. To okay. Tell you the truth. Yeah, it was. It was some well known, maybe Centennial or. It was probably Fuggle. Fuggle, maybe. That, that's, so a, a lot of a, a lot of the hops that you find are 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 Fuggle are, or a descendant of yeah, Fuggle sure. after some, some sort of cross pollination. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So we we've we have two in production right now that uh, were that it was that kind of scenario. It was they, they were they were found and and we propagated them. One is one is it's Michigan heritage, heritage. Yeah. Uh, and one we we haven't started selling yet because we haven't. Had, it's been kind of our ugly stepchild, but I, I love the hops. <laughs> you know, it's just it's just there, there's just so much other stuff to focus on that uh, we haven't even named it. We actually have a little argument going because uh, because one of my partners and I graduated from Michigan State, mm-hmm. and uh, my other partner is a is a is a Wolverine, mm. and so so I, I feel like we outnumber him, and and we should call it Spartan Select. Oh. but you know we'll we'll see how that goes. Okay, have a. Has anyone brewed with it yet? Not that one. Not that one. We, we there's a lot of people that have brewed with Michigan Heritage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we've used Heritage. Yeah, yep. Yeah, we've we've had a, a few Michigan Heritage uh, brews. Yeah, that's it's one of my favorite hops. It just doesn't grow very well. Hmm. It's really frustrating. <laughs> it's uh, almost a misnomer then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, hops are uh, they're a weird plant. I mean, it's it's hard to kill them when you want to kill them. Oh, but, oh, yeah, it is. But it's also hard to, like, grow them well and get, like, good yields yep. on them. So it's it's kind of just this battle. So they'll kind of stick around and languish if you yeah. don't want to Oh, oh yeah. absolutely. Oh, yeah. You can oh, yeah. spray those things with Roundup every week for, or every, yeah, every week for all summer, and they'll still come back next year. <laughs> they are... They're a nasty plant. <laughs> it, it, it's funny. It's like, uh, you know, there's been a lot of times people are like, how do you make a living growing hops? It's a weed. You can't kill it. You can't do it. And I'm like, yeah, try growing it right. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> make this a little more different. Well, you know, uh, hops are in the cannabis family. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, as I'm sure a lot of people know, you know, pot is hard to grow well, too. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's, uh, yeah, it's... It's that fine balance between, uh, you know, getting it to <coughs> grow well and, uh, um, I guess, just having it around at all. So. Yeah, right. mm-hmm. yeah, it's not much different than beer. It's really easy to make beer. It's kind of hard to make good beer. Yeah, right. Amen. Yeah. You know. yeah. When, when, when you pedal hops all day, you drink some good beer and oh, you drink yeah. some bad beer. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it gets interesting. By the way, I've never had a bad beer at at uh, at the mitten. Well, thank you. Yeah, appreciate it. Uh, let's uh, let's wrap that up. <coughs> so, so we're at the point now where the hops are in full bloom. They've, tr- they've been uh, trained. They've fruited. They're oh. trained. They're ready to go. We're talking fall time, harvest time. What the hell happens next? <laughs> go for it, man. You okay, I, okay. So, so what? The the first step is figuring out when they're ready to harvest. Sure. Right. I mean, like you, uh, you have to you have to harvest them at the right time. I think a lot of a lot of growers uh, get antsy and yeah. they take them early and have no idea. <clears throat> yeah, they, they they think they should be ready, but they're not. They're they're not figuring out the analytics behind it. They don't they don't necessarily know the science behind why they're ready. 
and so they just take them. So, but there's specific cues that you have to look for. Uh, you know, one one of those is does it feel right? Does it have a crisp kind of papery feeling to it? Are they starting to open up? Uh, are the cones starting to open up? And then if you rip it apart and you look at uh, and you look at the lupulin in there, is it kind of concave? like a red blood cell you you all remember sure, like the images of red blood cells mm-hmm. from elementary school mm-hmm. is it concave like that or is it fully plump and spherical and you'll you're talking about the actual lupulin the, the, little, the yellow lupulin so we'll, we'll take beads. them out and we learned this from you guys mm-hmm. we'll take them out and we got a nice microscope and we'll look at individual little lupulins to see exactly where they're at mm-hmm. um Yep, and and then you also want to like, what's what's the color look like? Is it like a bright yellow or is it school bus yellow? School bus yellow is where you're at, you know that that's that's where you want to be, and uh, and then from there, once you get those those two things situated, then then it's time then it's time to start thinking about taking a moisture test. Then you're getting really close, and so then you take a moisture test, and depending on the variety. Uh, you want to be anywhere between uh, 21 to 24 percent dry matter, and once you're there, you're probably ready ready to harvest. But what uh, and and you're probably getting to the point where where you're there now. It took me four or five years to get to the point where I was like, "Well, do I like how it smells right now?" Mm-hmm. And you know because. Uh, just because those parameters say they're ready to go doesn't necessarily mean that you have to harvest them. Yeah, or mm-hmm. that, that, that's what the brewers want. Right, you know, right, so. right, exactly. Because like you, you can a, a a hop will go from smelling one way when it's when it's ready to come off and early mm-hmm. to smelling a totally different way and having a totally different ar- aromatic profile to it. If you if you wait a little bit, you take a risk because if you wait too long, you're screwed. Yeah. But it, it's a it's something to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, be, beer is a lot like that, and that you know analytically it might pass all your tests, but it doesn't it doesn't pass you know the one true test. Sure. Yeah, right. yeah. And, and that's all. Cons- yeah, yeah. You that's know. all experience. You know, it takes time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, um, all right. So our hops are ready. They're ready. Where How are you harvesting your hops? What do you mean? How 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 do you what is your harvest? Uh, like system. How do you, how do you cut them? How do you like? Um, so we take right now. We take our trailer that we use for stringing. Mm-hmm. So it's basically like an old farm trailer, like an old hay trailer. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and we built a big wooden tower on the top of it. So in the spring, that's what we use to tie up all the strings. Me and my brother-in-law Jay are up there tying strings. So in the when uh, when harvests, we're Someone's up there cutting down the top. Someone's on the bottom, and we're laying them down, driving them around to our picker. Um, we you have cut so, the, you cut the strings and all. Yeah. So, yeah. so so you cut the bottoms. We'll get into that part. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. So so we're cutting the bottoms. So then they're just kind of hanging free from the the top wire, and then uh, we come through, cut them from the top, bring them around to our our uh, harvester, which is we have a Wolf two eighty. So that means it it runs 280. We usually push it to three, 320 maybe. Can you really get 320 out of that? Yeah. I mean, I'm very jealous of this, by the way. If we're running, depends on the variety. Right. Oh, for sure. Uh, like the Mackinac and stuff, we can't get that because mm-hmm. they, they just get too big. 
But some of our smaller, like the Crystal, we can usually get about 320 an hour. Just from speeding up the belts and everything? or Speeding up the belts and running two at a time. Yeah, yeah. Because okay. just that, that's a small... What does that number correlate <clears throat> to? Is that like so, linear feet cones? of stuff you're pulling through? No, or? no. So that's that's how many binds oh. per hour. So how many strings, okay. you know, that we put sure. up in the spring. Okay. Wow. Um, an hour, right? So... Mm-hmm. So there's a thousand plants per acre. So there's two strings per plant. So there's mm-hmm. two thousand binds gotcha. per acre. Okay. And and our our harvester will pick two eighty to three twenty an hour. So you're okay. getting about three to four. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, it's about three to four hours per per acre. Yeah, if you're running real smooth, like, and if if your dry if your dryer can handle that much, and um, so there's a whole bunch of different bottlenecks in the, mm-hmm. in the it, it gets it's a it's a balancing act, like you, you know you, and everything's expensive, right? So, what what do you, what what part of the process do you yeah. want to bump up, and then how much is that going to bump you up? And can the rest of your process handle that? Sure. Uh, you know, if not, then spend a bunch of money to fix this bottleneck, only to find it was yeah, wasted it's, it's money. A, you just moved the bottleneck down, down totally yeah. the line. You know? Yeah. So I get that. <clears throat> so, so we, now, do you, what do you guys use to cut the bottoms? We, right now, we hand cut them. With what though? Just a big loppers. Like loppers. Yeah. But we're we're experimenting with, um, you know, like a. Head shears. Wait, so we, we use and we, just and mounting it to the front of the gator. Oh, like okay. Yeah. <clears throat> and so you can just drive with a. <laughs> so so quick warning about this. So we use hedge trimmers, like like handheld head trimmers, like sure. you guys would use yeah. your trim your hedge. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're gonna mount that to a gator, be really careful because you will on a mature plant you will bend that yeah. uh, you'll you'll bend the thingy. I don't know the yeah, trimmer the part. I don't, yeah, I don't know thingy. Of course, yeah, the blades yeah. with the teeth. Yeah, yeah. You know that part, the thing that goes the like chomper. that. Uh, you will bend those real quick. And uh, so, like huh. right now, because we up until now we hadn't really had a better system. We'll go through ten to twelve hedge trimmers in a season at eighty bucks a pop. Okay. Plus, it doesn't doesn't help when the when the top cutters you know nick the. Nick the wire. No, I know. <laughs> then they go real quick. Yeah. Uh, what are you doing for the tops? The tops we're hand cutting right now. Um, with with loppers. Yeah. Um, we've we've talked about um, fabricating our own like head, you know, like top, a, top, top cutter. cutter. Yeah. Um, I know Trowbridges. Well, they they did a, they did the top cutter for a year. They went away from it. This yeah, year. I know. It, it didn't quite work the way they want it, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. We we've we've for probably three years now been drawing up plans for our own top cutter and we've never Yeah, so I, I think this year we're we're looking at getting like a hay sickle. Like yeah. a three point hay so, yeah, like a, a three we're, point hay sickle yeah. that we'll use to cut the bottoms. And this year we'll probably keep doing the head trimmers on top because we go through them on the bottoms, not on the top because yeah. that's where the thick part is. And so this year we'll we'll continue with the hedge trimmers, and I think next year we'll we'll probably bite the bullet and convert into a European bind puller. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So just so the way that works is there's you know the pitching machines from when we were kids. Yeah, yeah. It's that big wheel that Mm -hmm. spins and the ball Mm -hmm. goes through it. For sure. So you mount so you mount that on on the side of your tractor, 
and it just so the the the, the bundle of uh, of the the vine so the bind feeds through that catches that that puller and it that that wheel and it jerks it told you i was gonna hit that <laughs> and, and it, it jerk it jerks the the it jerks the bind hard enough to rip it but you have to have barbed wire up right. top so it catches so are you gonna retro? Are you gonna replace all your fruiting line? No, I'm gonna retrofit the line that we have right now. Okay, because I think Trowbridge is. That, that's doing what he that too. he yeah. he he retrofitted it, and then, uh, and I'm really curious how he did. There's different ways to do it. The, I don't know how he did it. Because I don't. The, the one thing I thought about, you know, if you've got barbed fruiting lines, tying, tying rope tying is gonna be rope, a bitch. I mean, you're Might tying ropes, and there's sure. barbs, like. I mean, forget about how our hands are already. <laughs> yeah, if you've yeah. got barbed wire up there, you're going to be yeah. slicing I, dice. I, I think, I think I the mean, way that we'll do it is, is we'll, we probably won't do it for every rope. We'll probably do, hey, you need a, you need a Bokanon from Creston? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Although I only have three left. So we'll have to... We'll just throw these up here. Sharing is caring. Uh, but, the, but the way I think we'll probably do it is... Uh, We'll do like three or four barbs, or three or four, uh, three or four binds per barb. I think. Yeah, because you can. I mean, you can pull them along and then. Yeah, and it, it, if you so. have two or three, like bind bind up it, that you're hitting at the same time, I don't think it'll be an issue. It's when you get four or five that you're gonna start breaking things. So once you get these hops off the vine, um, are you drying them while they're still, like on on the shoot? Nope. No. So then, you, so then they're they're the going through the wolf pickers, whatever size. But he was saying have. he had the two eighty of that he could uh-huh. run two hundred. So that's actually so like stripping the hops right off of. Yeah. The so line. that's that. That's basically as a chain going through a. It's a large machine. It looks like something out of a Dr. Seuss book. <laughs> it really does. We call, like, we, we call, when when we started off the first time, it's like the Seuss is on the loose. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like I mean, it's just this big old wonky contraption, you know. And it it will it pulls the whole eighteen foot bind through the machine, right? So basically, it goes through a series of drums that are all just have rakes on it. And mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's almost like a big rake, and it's just mm-hmm. it just pulls the um, the cones off. And I mean, a lot of leaves, but and then the rest goes through and gets chopped up in a chopper, and then the hops come out the side. So. And then, then they get dried. Yep, they get dried in like drums or kilns or kilns, kilns. Yeah. So, so yeah, uh, you guys, you're still using the same kiln that you had. But you have a second one now, right? Yeah, we have two of them. Yeah, that's that's, that's what I thought. So, uh, so they are currently using the model that we that we started with, uh, but their their facility is more conducive than that ours was for it. So they have a three tiered drying system. Whereas they get more dry, you can drop them down to the next level, then add more hops or you know that type of thing. Uh, we we have what's called what people call a batch drying system. It's just one big floor, and all the hops lay on it. And in both systems, you blow air and heat into it, and the air and heat goes up through and dries the hops. So it's basically like on a big screen. Ours is. Yeah. This is on blow, three different screens. Yeah. 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 And then yeah. you're looking for some sort of like moisture content to yep. kind of finish the process. Yep. So there's a few different ways to take moisture readings. Um, once you get, I mean, once you've been doing it for a while, you can feel. I mean, I can usually tell, like, well, these are pretty much done. You They're know. good to go. Um, 
We we bought a moisture sensor. Oh, that's right, but, you did. Yeah, I know. It's nice. Makes <laughs> things easy. But I mean, there's all there's other ways you can test moisture. But basically, you're looking to get the cones down. So when you, when you're picking the cones, we're usually around seventy, between seventy eight percent to seventy four percent moisture. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's where we pick usually. Um, and you got you're getting that down to eight to ten percent moisture. Yeah. Um, hmm. Hops are, they will start going bad, extremely fast. So, um, like our our system is a straight line system, so it's going through the picker, uh, through a crop quality control area where people are picking out any leaves or stems that made it through the the um, picking process, and then going straight into the dryer. Um, no chance for mold to start yeah, proliferating. Yeah, because if they're, I mean, if they, you know, you can let them sit for, I don't know, 10, 12 hours, but any more than that, and you're risking big problems. So, so when we're doing our har- har- harvest ales, uh, which uh, to those who don't know, you know, your harvest ales, we're, we're wet hopping them. Uh, it's hops, you know, freshly picked that day. They're not even going Straight through the drying the process. Right. Straight nope. off the vine. Straight They're coming off the vine. They're going through the QC. I'm, yep. I'm assu- are they? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yep. Yep. Cool. So, you're, yep. you know, they're picking out all the leaves and everything. Yeah, that makes sense. And uh, then we're getting them, and that same day we're yeah. throwing them in so the that, So that's like we're lining that up kind of this month. Mm-hmm. Is um, it's critical. Yeah, about sure. like, okay, this is, you know, it's, <clears throat> it's never a definitive thing because you don't know exactly when you're going to be going. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, um, you know, you've got a rough idea. So it's, you know, getting, okay, like the cascades are looking this way. Most likely it's going to be between this date and this date, you know, so. You know, coming from a production brewing standpoint, all our schedules are usually... Uh, super concrete and we mm-hmm. have everything yeah. just like laid right. out you know sometimes, it makes it sometimes months in advance exactly yeah. and then when it comes time for a harvest deal we're like alright it's gonna be maybe next week but it could yeah. be the week yeah. after and sure. it may even be the week after that and you're like what well, and I, I think that's when it's important to know what variety do you want to right. do you want to put in yep. and, and, and then on top of that there, so there's also need to have some flexibility Right, so uh, if you if you can be flexible with the variety that you're taking, but know which ones you want, and then also work with with experienced growers that have been growing for a few years that know when their hops are coming off within within a week or so, uh, then then you can really kind of hone it in because mm-hmm. uh, it it's not th- as difficult if in a, a month or two in advance from a big production standpoint you can say okay. We are, we're planning on, we want to do, say, say we want to do, say you want to do Cascade, you know, for example. We know Cascade's probably going to be somewhere around that last week, August, like August 26th, maybe to September 3rd, yeah. you know, somewhere mm-hmm. around there. Uh, but, you know, we could also use that same malt bill and, and do a harvest ale. It's going to taste a little different, but use do a harvest ale with Chinook if Chinook happens to come early like it did for us last mm-hmm. year. Our Chinook was a week and a half earlier than it's ever been, and it was really, really messed up my world. <laughs> but if you can have some flexibility with that, but still understand what you're looking for and what you're trying to do, yeah. then, then it works out. And really, for us, it's at least the last couple of years with in terms of wet ales, the cascade 
I mean, they, they, they just hold on. They do. You yeah. You, so, so like last year, we had a couple wet orders for Cascade, but the breweries couldn't do it when we were harvesting the Cascade. And it, they were like, well, we can't do it for like a week. So, you know, <clears throat> so we harvested, you know, 90% of our Cascade and then started doing other varieties mm-hmm. and then came back. And yep. the Cascade is at least... I don't know. I, it's hard. It, it, it hangs on. So yeah. It, well. Same. Same with Chinook. Do you guys grow Chinook? I don't think Ooh, you do. Yeah, right? no. yeah. Cascade and Chinook. You'll have the biggest mm-hmm. window hmm. to say. Uh, you, you know that way. Like, like he, like he said, he he harvested his Cascade, but it probably would have held on for another 10, 12 yeah. days. And if if it went on even longer than that. They're gonna look really, really ugly, but they'll still do a decent. They'll, they'll still yeah, do they'll a, still a good beer. They'll still make a good brew. Yeah. Uh, they'll just be a little brown. Yeah, uh, and that's one of the things that uh, that uh, that it's nice to see some some of the more experienced brewers like like what like for example, uh, I had this conversation with Jason, and uh, you know some varieties like so our Chinook for example, we purposely let that hang longer than than probably any other grower in Michigan because we like what it turns into. Mm-hmm. It's going to be ugly. It's not going to be the the bright, lush, green color hop that that you want to see, but the color doesn't necessarily determine the quality. Sure. It I mean the quality is determined by the oil content, the alphas and the aromatics and and the beer that you can brew with it. Uh I mean everybody wants to see the bright green color. Yeah, it's pretty, man. But at the same time that I, a lot of a lot of the newer more, brewers. More people want a good beer. <laughs> yeah, I, I think a lot of the newer brewers and a lot of the 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 newer hop growers, I think, need to move past that. Still think about it. Still keep that in the the forefront of their minds. But more importantly, think about the. Are you, are you saying just in terms of of wet hopped beers? No, this is in general. Sure. Okay. Because <laughs> you know we so the you know the final process, which I, I can probably speak to, is that. You know, after they're dried, they're they're pelletized. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds like you're sending them off to be pelletized. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you guys do it. Uh, yep. At your facility. Yep. Um, and so they're they're rabbit pellets. I believe that they're the the same machines, right? There's a there's a code for it, right? T T T ninety or T ninety is the type of pellet. T ninety is the type of pellet, exactly. And so, um, but uh, going back to what you were saying, yeah, I've you know we. Almost exclusively, breweries will deal with pelletized hops because they're easier to use. Uh, they're not these big cones that clog up, you know, pumps and machines and everything. Um, and they're, uh, uh, you know, the the terpenes, the alpha acids, everything are a lot more readily available. And so, when we're using these hops, there's been plenty of times that we've used hops and they look brown mm-hmm. or like like a dark, dullish green, um, and that. You don't think twice about it. You're like, yeah. I, I can smell yeah, this. Hop. I can smell yeah. how yeah, good no, it is. Yeah. It, I can tell that it is a good quality hop. Yeah. The color means nothing to me. Now, now, if it smells like onion and it's not supposed to smell like onion, that's a different story. Sure. You, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or it smells like cheese and it isn't supposed to smell like cheese. Well, hey, you you know, know? But there's a place for cheesy hops, too. Oh, that, yeah. That's that's why I'm yeah. saying we've it's got, not supposed to smell like We've got a like bunch cheese. of super cheesy hops that we use for sour beer. Nice. And that's just a oh, different yeah. thing. Oh, yeah. And Taylor and I like talk about romanticism. There's some romanticism in making sour beer with old gross hops mm. absolutely so so we have or i guess i actually i think we ended up uh giving it to another brewery but but we had a, a bale of hops just because we wanted to see what happened from the very first year that we bailed that we that we so it was in a bale form and for five years oh wow <laughs> really it was awesome is that post drying 
It, they were dry. Oh, they were dry. Frozen the whole time. It, it was it was in a freezer the whole time. Okay. But it, it was it was it it made a good sour. It made a really good nice. sour. Nice. Uh, yeah. So the other interesting thing. So we did a cast. We did Cascade. Uh, from, we had some twenty. I think it would have been twenty fourteen Cascade that we had pelletized and packaged. And this is this was before we had that equipment. We didn't have a packager or anything. It didn't have any Mylar. It, it wasn't Mylar bag. Mm-hmm. We didn't know what we were doing yet, you know. Sure. Uh, and clearly the people that pelletized it had no idea what the hell they were doing either because mm-hmm. they, they didn't use Mylar bags. And, and but so it was, they were, yeah, I think they were 2014. And we just opened those up maybe six months ago that we had some left over and i swear to god it ta- it, it smelled it smelled like fruit loops mm. wild mm-hmm. huh. like in a good way in a good way mm. in a good way it was the weirdest thing I'd yeah ever you seen. can still use those and oh, yeah. sours and we've still got some 2016 send them our way yeah we'll use you them it, it, it's just it's just interesting and then sometimes you're gonna get terrible terrible hops because they've been sitting and, sure. and maybe they weren't weren't i'm not i'm not trying to uh to justify, you know, a lot using using old hops all the time because, uh, you know, there's there's something to be said about using fresh hops and, yeah. and having well, them be absolutely. 10, I mean, when you're brewing clean old. beer, you yeah. want the freshest hops yeah, possible. In absolutely. fact, in fact, we, uh, you know, when we're looking at what hops to use, we have our big huge hop freezer and we're we're site, you know, uh, filtering through it, and uh, we'll say, well, these ones are from 2016. We're gonna use them in the boil. But these ones from 2018, right. we're going to use them for the dry hop because you want that fresher flavor yep. and everything. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you definitely need to have uh, at least some sort of, um, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I don't know, man. Uh, discretion <laughs> you know, when, 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 yeah. using, when, when using these hops. Absolutely, fresher is better yeah. in, in terms of making clean beer at the Especially very least. Especially for aromatics. Yeah. yeah for absolutely. the aromatics, for sure. It's yeah. real important I mean, with the aromatics. Uh, and you can you can get good aromatics from old hops, as long as they're but they're going to be well. different from what they're supposed to be. Sure, yeah. if they're, they're be if they're palletized well. and storage, right? I mean, yeah. you can still get that a few years out, but I mean, really, you want that. Typically, what we'll crisp. what we'll tell brewers is that the brewers that we work with is eighteen months is where you want to be on an aromatic hop. They will last longer. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to guarantee <laughs> what it is yeah. after that. You, you know what I mean. Sure. But we'll, you know, we'll guarantee it for 18 months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you guys have mentioned that you're you're growing Cascade, Centennial, um, Chinook. These are these are popular brands that uh, I think we're going with mint beer this time. Popular styles that were originally grown in in the Willamette Valley and the the Cascade Valley. Um, and now they're being grown here. Uh, can you speak to the the, the terroir that, that the Michigan has in terms of uh, in terms of how these these traditional types of hops actually change here in Michigan? Um, yeah, I mean, I really I think there's a change from <coughs> from the even in Michigan from around Michigan. Yeah, yeah I for mean sure. from. From the west side of the state to the east side to the you know north up by Traverse City and stuff, um, and I mean depending on your soil type, I mean I you I think you really get a different 
feel in yeah. every area. Yeah, really. there, there's some uniqueness. Uh, and I, so the, the, the one that I would, would speak to that is by far the most different, and it's, it's hard for me to even justify calling it the same name as Chinook, uh, by far. And if, if in Michigan, or at least on my farm, in, in, on, on my farm, if you harvest it really early, it will be somewhat similar to Pacific Northwest hops. But on my farm, if when I harvest that late, you're like, that's the variety that I was referring to when I was talking about. I let that I let that bad boy hang because mm-hmm. uh, when we harvest it late, it's straight up bubblegum. Hmm. There's no pine. There's n- zero pine. It's hmm. it's like strawberry bubblegum, and Fun. and I dig it. Yeah, how could you even call it Chinook at that point? Right, right. It, yeah. it, and there's two there's two schools of thought. One school of thought is it's dishonest to to not call it Chinook. And then sure. the other school of thought is it's dishonest to call it Chinook. Genetically, it is Chinook. <laughs> right. But it does not perform But at it all doesn't Chinook. do anything like what the Chinook it does that people know as as Chinook. And it's like that with, with every variety, but I think, too, it's significantly lesser degree. From, from mm-hmm. a production standpoint, and I think there's probably a lot of breweries here in, in, in GR and I guess probably ac- across the United States that are established and uh, as this craft beer boom expands and grows and how other industries are starting to evolve and develop around it, um, that with, with the ability to select hops from local growers and that kind of thing, uh, you, there is, once again, discretion in terms of choosing which hops you're going to be using because if, if, if you've been, you know, as they say, if you've been brewing something some way for 100 years, you should be brewing it the same way for 100 more years. And if you're using a certain hop and it has a certain quality to it and all of a sudden you switch to a local brand that, that has that terroir, that has that, that distinct local flavor to it, you're changing your beer. Um, and... I think, um, I think there's there's probably a lot of breweries who might be shying away from using oh, local yeah. hops because of that kind yeah. of stuff. Oh yeah, that, that's say, that's an issue. I yeah. would say that's actually a difference between Taylor and I at the Mitten. Being a pr- production brewer at the Mitten, they're striving for consistency. Being a pub brewer, working three barrels at a time developing new things we're like fun stuff. let's try let's try some different things uh, yeah and that's so we got flexibility it's awesome right that, that's one of the challenges I, I totally get it if you're in distribution you're doing a distribution beer that people all around the country like buy that beer because that's what it tastes like yeah. and that's what oh, yeah. they like i totally get that like you need to keep that consistent uh but there's also i mean uh, you, you guys are brewers you know you, you know that you can you can manipulate what how a hop reacts in a boil you can re- oh, like yeah. based on when you put it in based on how you do it i mean there's a lot of different things you can do uh and it, you know if it's not if it's not anything the same obviously it's not the same beer just you, it so and that that's okay uh right I, I don't think it needs to be the same beer right and you can just you know you can still have your your mainstay mm-hmm. beers but develop other beers around it yeah that complement what your brewery is offering and and do it on a local scene. Mm-hmm. Has that been at all a hurdle for local hop growers like yourself in terms of getting uh, established breweries to absolutely? Convert? Yeah, one of, one of the biggest. That, one of the biggest for for me. There's been there's been three main hurdles. Uh, one of them doesn't exist anymore, but three main hurdles. The very first one was there. There were so many people that rushed into the hop industry 
that had no idea what they were doing. You know, they they had no background in business or they had no background in agriculture mm-hmm. or they had no background in either. And they had 30 plants in their backyard and showed up to a brewery next door and with a handful of hops and were like, will you buy my hops? And and that that is literally not an exaggeration. I've heard that story a lot, yeah. oh, yeah. sure. like a lot of that. times. And so... It took us a long time to a like, long time call, making phone calls, making phone calls, and get, mean, getting brewers out to your place to show them that you're not yeah. a backyard operation. Right. Well, just well, to well, like, we're we're a, we're a legit farm. To talk to that, it, you know, I mean, I've had somebody come up to me very recently and say, "Have you ever thought about growing your own hops?" I said, "No, let's <laughs> leave that to the experts." <laughs> right. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, we had, uh, I, I was still. It was still really difficult for for some brewers that that for breweries to that I didn't already have a relationship with to take me seriously when I had almost thirty acres of hops, right. and I'm just like I mean this this is like we're I, I we're the largest farmer owned hop producer in the state of Michigan and I I think east of the Rocky Mountains but I could be wrong about that so I don't know but for sure in Michigan. And it was very, very difficult. Like even still today, if the brewer doesn't know me, it's like, it's like, bro, come out. Like this is a this is a real situation. This is this is yeah. This not, isn't like Podunk. Th- this is not mom and pop shop. Right. Like we're we're from where I'm sitting. There is a high level of skepticism anytime somebody comes in. Totally get it. They come in. Hey, I uh, oh, yeah. you know I'm a I'm a malt grower. Or, you know I'm a you know I'm a oh, I know and I, I was and I, I was I that stand person. There like, all right, let's hear it. Let's hear your pitch. You know, you know I, I, mean? I was that person four years ago, and it was like, and now we know enough people, and it's like, okay, you know, and if you can get people out to the farm and you can show them, like, you know, we're, we're not just, we're not growing, like, 100 yeah. plants in the backyard. And I, I, I totally get you know? that that viewpoint. I totally respect it. I would be the same way. I'm not saying that it shouldn't have been that way, just that that was, that was one of the big, big hurdles mm-hmm. for us, and I'm yeah. sure for you guys yeah. as well. Uh, the, the second one is, is uh, back in 2015, a lot of the 2015, 2016, uh, the Pacific Northwest was hit Michigan breweries hard Locking up contracts, with, with the contracts, sure. like to the point where it's um, like, I, I, like morally, I don't know how they how they did it with a lot of them. Like, I, I know one brewer uh, who has a decent sized brewer brewery, you know, middle middle Michigan. Who in twenty he opened his brewery in twenty fourteen. It was it, and he's doing really really well. Uh, I think he's at probably two three thousand barrels a year. And but he that brewer and or the the the, the hop salesman in twenty fourteen locked him in contracts to twenty twenty two. Whoa, like yeah. when he first opened yeah. because he scared the crap out of him about how hop, how there's there's a hop the shortage. Hop shortage. Yeah, you'll and never get not, that hop. He's, that he's that not going to be able to get it. And so he's locked in, and and now he's paying paying storage fees and all this crap, and it's like that's just that's just ridiculous. And that makes sense for those macro breweries, but not not Absolutely. for the small guy. Sure. Absolutely, and and so the small brewers, I'll, I'll say, it it, it it makes sense to do do contracts if the contracts work for you too. It, it does because number one, it, it helps us right. know. What we, well, like we, we yeah, know what you to expect. Can we kind can, of forecast what you should be right. growing. Right. What what we should be growing. What we have left. What we have available to sell. And it protects you guys in 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 the standpoint of it allows you to say, okay, I know these hops are going to be available, and I know where I'm getting them from. 
most of the hops you'll be able to get on, on Lupulin Exchange or whatever, but you don't know the quality of it. You, mm-hmm. you don't know where they're coming from. Yeah, you from. don't know how it's been processed. And, and, sure. and that, that's, that's okay. I mean, there's a time and a place for that. But it protects everybody. But if you're in a situation where you're paying storage fees for two years or three years, or you're paying 20% or 15% or 20% up front, I said 20% twice. I meant 10% the second time. Uh, 10%, 15%, or 20% up front in order to get into that contract. I mean, you don't need to do that. Uh, that's uh, uh, You just don't, and you mm-hmm. shouldn't. But there is a place for contracts, and contracts are important for us. Yeah, yeah I mean, you know, you know, before the show even started, we were talking about, you know, the Mitten's current contract. We're, right. we're scheduled out through through 2019. Uh, with everything, and it's a good thing. I mean, honestly, we were we probably underdid our contracts. We're probably going to be short on what we actually need, mm-hmm. uh, which we'd rather we'd rather do do less than yeah than we need yeah oh yeah. So what I what I tell the brewers that we work with, especially the larger breweries, and actually, I, yeah. So so what we tell the larger breweries that we work with is, you know, what, what we would like to do, and what what I think you should do, uh, is do a three year agreement that says, all right, so. Year one, we're going to contract. So, so if, if if we were talking today, so for 2020, we're going to we're going to contract. You know, 80 percent of what we expect to brew with. You know, it allows you that 20 percent of wiggle room. Of, you know, if you don't sell as much as you need or a taste change or something sure. like that. Uh, year two, you know, somewhere around that 50 percent of those varieties that we expect to brew with. Uh, year three, maybe. Uh, of those variety, yeah, of those varieties. Year three, uh, 20, 25% of what we expect to brew with. That way it allows us the ability yeah. to plan. It still gives us an idea because, yeah. I mean, you know, the, the hop plant, the, the first couple years, you're, you know, you're getting some yields, but you're right. not getting, <coughs> once, once the hop plant is three, four years old, then you're getting mature, decent yields, you know. So right. you want to be able to plan out what I need to have in the ground Years in advance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Sure. yeah. So when you when you do it that way, I mean, it protects or not even protects us. It helps us and allows us to figure out you know what's going on and and plan for the future, and it allows you guys to have that flexibility where if there's a change in the market, you're not you're not screwed. You're not locked. You know, in you're not locked into something huge. Uh, but it also gives you some protection in making sure you have those. Now that being said, for us anyway. We don't. Our our contracts are not. I mean, they're handshakes. Yeah, you, you know, they they really they really are. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, it's more often than not that I have a brewer that that says, "Hey, you know, I know I contracted, you know, a thousand pounds of Cascade. I'm going to go through nine hundred. Is that going to be an issue? No, it's not. I can get rid of hundred pounds of Cascade. Right. Right. You mm-hmm. know, big deal." It's if I was selling fifty thousand pounds to Budweiser and they said I'm only going to use twenty thousand. That'd be a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> then, 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 I, then there'd be a conversation that would involve attorneys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but but I you know the the what we're talking about is you know it, it's professions helping professions. It, you, you know it's it's a, a brewer helping a grower and a grower helping a, a brewer. Yep. I mean honestly, and, it, it's got to be a symbiotic relationship. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. That, that was the if, word I was going to use in that for for the hop farms. And the breweries to make it, it well, breweries that want to do a local flavor, mm-hmm. it, it's got to be a working relationship yeah. like that. Absolutely. Yeah, and I mentioned this at almost every single episode uh, about just Grand Rapids symbiosis, Grand Rapids uh, um, 
ecosystem. The brewery ecosystem we have here is beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. Well, throw me. Apparently, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm not a bartender. And that there are so many breweries working together. There's so many industries now working together, and it's super local. And we're keeping it. Um, we're keeping it. You know, within within West Michigan, mm-hmm. and it's it it's it's a beautiful thing just mm-hmm. seeing all these moving parts working in tandem together. It is, it, and uh, a lot of the breweries really go out of their way to, to help us and, and to to get their product from us. And, and it's not even necessarily that they're, you know, helping us because they're taking the step down. It's just that they're, they are making an effort to pay attention to what we're doing and, and patronizing us uh, because they know the quality is there. Uh, but I mean, I, I can attest to Pure Mittens Hops that... Uh, I don't know any other any other grower in the state of Michigan that can compare with the quality of hops that they're putting out. They do a phenomenal job. And obviously, I invited both of you on today because we use both of your guys' hops, mm-hmm. and they have been nothing but stellar. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, we're we're obviously huge fans of you guys. Yeah, yeah, and we appreciate. It. I mean, that's absolutely like, support like that is it's how we are able to make it. Basically. Absolutely, you know. I, we're we're not we're not getting huge contracts from founders and stuff. I mean, it'd be awesome, but you know, we're we're working with the smaller, mid-sized breweries. Well, know? and that's probably where the proof of concept comes from is starting with these small guys. You know, like I was saying just a little bit ago that you know, from a production standpoint, um, we're unfortunately locked into a lot of these. Uh, Pacific Northwest hops. Oh, don't worry, uh, we'll fix that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're working on it, man. But yeah, sure. but we we have our pub system, and that's where John and and, and Jeff come in. Is um, a lot of what they do, mo- all of what they do is is not locked in to mm-hmm. to any to any style, and, and things are flexible, and they're able so not locked in <laughs> exactly exactly. They're they're able. What do I want to, <laughs> to brew today? These hops, and they're able to, to get these proof have of concepts stuff? out. No. We'll wing it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it's it, I I'm definitely jealous of of the flexibility you guys have. It's mm-hmm. a lot of fun. But but yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's these it's the little the little guys, the microbreweries that are really, um, you know, proving proving the you know the, the merit of, of your right. guys' hops, yeah. and hopefully that kind of bleeds into some of the bigger guys. Too. Oh, and, and it and it will, and it, it already, and you know, we, we've supplied to, to founders, and I think you guys yeah, did yeah, last we, year too, yeah, right? Yeah, we were in the Harvest Dale for And, and there, you know, nice. there's, some, there's some benefits to that, but at the same time, uh, you know, the economies of scale for them makes it difficult for us to, right. to, Just to, to even afford supply that too. It, right? You know, so uh, they're, they aren't, the, the, the founders and the bells of the worlds aren't, aren't our target market. No, sure, sure. They're yeah. not who we're going after. Sure, we would love to have our hops in there as much as possible just because, you know, the publicity that that brings mm-hmm. in is awesome. But the breweries that we want are breweries like yours where, you know, you're doing a hell of a job. You make great beer. You you have a, a, a sizable following. And, and you do things like this where, you know, that we're, you're getting the message out about what good beer is and where it comes from. This, this is exactly what our target market is. Can I ask you, uh, and I think I already know the answer, but are, are any of these local hops available to homebrewers? Kind uh, of. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we, we sell a lot to O'Connor's. You do? Oh, that's um, cool. Yeah. Awesome. Um, ben O'Connor is a good buddy of mine. So He was on my last podcast. Uh, 
Yeah, yeah, you said that. Oh, that's cool. He was on my softball team. And I oh, okay, nice. Climbing is on that team, right? Yeah, climbing That's why we can't do Wednesdays. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we lost last night. So we're done, we're done now. Uh, but, yeah, so we're, um, we sold a little bit to Sicilianos, but um, primarily our, we do one-ounce packs for, um, for O'Connor's homebrew. So. Excellent. Cool. Are, they, are they whole cone? Uh, no, Pelletize. Oh, they're Pelletize. Yeah. Okay. We don't, so get them all from him. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. And unless you want to buy a pound. Then if you're a home yeah. brewer and you, want to, you can find something to do with a pound, I'll figure out a way to get it to you. Excellent. <laughs> We're just not set up that way. Do you have any hops coming out that you're super excited about right now that you can talk about? Yes, I think yeah. we both can. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit about it, and then I'll, I'll let you, let you yeah, chime yeah. in. Uh, so hops that... First, before I get before we get into hops that are coming out, I feel like I need to talk about two varieties of hops that I think are significantly underused, but are by far my two favorite hops that that we grow. Well, and we grow, but my, two of my favorite hops outside of proprietary varieties, and Comet and Triple Pearl. Uh, I used Triple Triple Pearl today. Actually, did you? Yep, and yesterday. I uh, you, you deserve you deserve a high five. Comet is one I've always five. wanted to grow. On. Oh, I I love Comet. Yeah, I that's... love Triple Pearl. They are the two best hops that are not proprietary hops, and and frankly, I think they both can compete with the the popular uh, proprietary hops that are out there. They are phenomenal, and the yields are great. They're they're good for growers. They're good for brewers. They're excellent hops. So that's my little plug on those two varieties. So. And, and nobody brews with them, which is weird to me. Very few people. Obviously, not nobody. Hmm. Uh, but anyway, so those are those two. But uh, so I use the same, like, five hops every day. <laughs> Constantly. Every week. Every Sorry, month. bro. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Justin and I are part of a, a grower group that, uh, and, and it consists of, of multiple other growers. We have two-track farms. And I'm gonna, I, I shouldn't even start naming people because I'm going to forget them. But two-track farms... Hang them high. Hang them high. Wizard, uh, Hop Wizard, Wizard Hops. Mr. Wizard. Mr. Wizard Hops. Uh, that's all I got. There, there's, there's another one. Yeah. Or two. But anyway, so so we're working in, in conjunction with Great Lakes Hops in order to uh, develop proprietary hops that can compete with the proprietary hops that are, are coming out of the Pacific Northwest. Uh, and we're not going to charge people 30 bucks a pound for it. You know, like, like what, a, what a lot of people are getting charged for the citrus and the mosaics the and the amaryllis of the world. And yeah, especially Galaxy. Uh, but there's there's just, so just where it, where it started from, it started from uh, 4,400 cultivars that were that were crossbred and 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 just specifically engineered to grow well in Michigan and and not only that but they were going to be the type of hops that we're looking for and that that brewers want to brew with uh from from 4400 it, it we or maybe it might have actually been 44,000 one of the two but I don't remember because I'm not oh, I'm, I'm not the propaganda a big number yeah yeah it, it was a lot. Yeah. Uh, and so from there, it got it got narrowed down to the top top 100, and then from there, they all got planted in a on a trellis system just to see. All right, let's see how these grow. Let's see what they do, and then uh, we we they we, they got we picked out the 10 best 
out of all those. So the 10 best out of 4,400 or 44,000. Either way, it's the same thing. A lot of hops. And, and we put those in commercial yards. So, so he had, at how many did you put in? Did you put in one, two? Three? We did two last year. We did year. two. Yeah. So we had four varieties at our farm. Hang'em High had a couple varieties. Mr. Wizard's Hops had a couple. Two Track Farms had a couple. And, and we, we just tested these so we can come up with, with really, really good hops that can be grown in Michigan and that, that brewers are going to love. Right. And so we released four of them, four varieties last year. Yeah. I can't name all four. I know I know there's there's Paradigm and Bergamot. Do you know the yeah, other two? And then Gemini. Gemini. And, um, I didn't. I Emer- Emerald Spire. Yes. Emerald Spire. Emerald so, Spire. Yeah. So yeah. So they we took all those, and then we did all the hop rubs. We, I did what we, we did. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, we, we, we were all yeah, we yeah, all yeah, came yeah, out yeah, to, yeah, to your farm, and, and and I think we did it. I, I think that was at the Mitten. That was at the yeah. Mitten. Yeah. yeah, and so yeah, and so then you know we, I I went to a few of them around the state, different breweries, you know, and then um, there were every, over fifty breweries from yeah. Michigan. I think it was closer to eighty breweries from Michigan mm-hmm. that that tested all of these hops to figure out what their yeah. what their favorites were. Rub test, smell test, you yeah, know, and and. Um, so then from that, then, then four are being released. So the one that we grew um, was Paradigm, and um, we've expanded that quite a bit. Good. So, How much did you end up putting in? We put in three more acres. Oh, wow. So, Great. Yeah. So, yeah. so we're, we're, we're pretty excited about, um, I mean, we've, we've already gotten 90% of it is already sold, you know, so. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Um, it's it's something that we're we're pretty excited about um you know the growing commodity hops in michigan you know it it works and if you do it right and if you if you get that that name for quality and and you get you know like your chinook it's got a following like people know like you know west michigan hop yards like their chinook is really good but um these proprietaries are kind of will put us on another level of like, absolutely th- these are hops that are exclusively right for now exclusively grown in michigan and we're we're bred to grow in michigan and um i mean we're, we're just we're we're pretty excited about it absolutely well and i was gonna say the that might be you know that that, that might be the golden ticket in, in that yeah. i feel like there is a huge trend as as far as the past say two years go Brewers love experimental hops. Mm-hmm. They love they love these new wild, as they say, new world hops. Um, the old world hops, the Cascades and Centennials, they're falling out of favor as people want these juicier, crazier, more tropical, uh, flavorful hops. And having um, local uh, experimental hops like that, I mean, there's a huge market for that. Oh, yeah, I mean, huge. just you guys talking mm-hmm. about it right now makes me think, well, shit, why the hell don't we have any... Yeah, right. Of, of this paradigm, you know. Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah. Between so you had how much did you plant originally? So you have what four total acres? Uh, we had a half acre. Okay, so, so, you're, so you're at three and a half acres. Yeah. We're at we're at three and a half acres of of the proprietary trial. Well, not even trials anymore. But we're we're at three and a half acres. I think Hangem High. I don't know what they. I don't know if they ended up expanding. I, I they, know they, they've got eighteen acres of the between the four. 
variety. Okay, they, they did. They, yeah. So okay, yeah. uh, so there's there's some ability to to get it, get involved in this. Yeah. From a brewer perspective, mm-hmm. it's it, it will be where where a lot of the successful Michigan growers are going. Um, well, I think we're more or less out of time here. Um, so we're just disappointing. I wanted to drink more beer. I know. Tell me about it. Um, well, Brian Posthumus. Got it. (laughs) Nailed it. Nailed it. Good job, Taylor. (laughs) (laughs) Justin Dealman, uh, my co-host. John Vanderplu. Uh, you forgot my name, didn't you? No. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, I'm Taylor Darling. Uh, we're here with WKTV. This is the Beer City Habcast, and we'll see you on the next episode.